Let's bow once again in prayer. Father, we are a people who are in great need. Oh, how we need you. Lord, the longer we ponder your word, the more that we reflect upon our own lives, our own hearts, the more we look around us. Oh, how we understand anew and afresh that we really do and truly need you. Lord, we thank you that uh, one of the ways that you help us, one of the ways that you strengthen our faith and actually create faith within us is through your word, the word about Christ. And so we pray, Father, today that your word would have that effect upon us. As we look into your word, Lord, may we have eyes to see you as you really are and an increased faith to believe that you do exist and that you are a rewarder of those who sincerely and earnestly seek you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Last week in our consideration of a rich passage of Scripture, which is found in Nehemiah chapter 9, if you would take your time to find that passage in your Bible or on your tablet or on your phone, wherever it is, we noticed that last week we pointed out that the gospel of a forgiving God, the God of Christ, is the reason why we can gain a motivation, an incentive, a reason as to why we would humbly ever want to confess our sins to God in prayer. The people who are the citizens of Jerusalem are the ones we're reading about here in Nehemiah chapter 9. They have just completed rebuilding a wall, but God is in the process now of rebuilding their their lives among each other and their own spiritual lives. And we noticed that having heard the scriptures, having chapter 8 heard the word of God proclaimed and explained to them in a very powerful way, they realized that God is a God of compassion. They realized afresh and anew that God had not treated them as they deserved to be treated. And God did not forsake his people, even though they again and again had forsaken him. Verses 17, verses 19 there in Nehemiah chapter 9. God had bestowed upon them countless gifts to wayward people, to an unfaithful people. He had given and given and given good gifts. One of the chief reasons that willingly these people had turned to God and humbly confessed their sins to God, if you look at verse 17, is just a great reminder as to why they responded in the way they did. It's because they said, Lord, you are a God of forgiveness. You are gracious, you are compassionate, and you are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. It is the gospel of grace that led these people in Jerusalem to swallow their pride and to humbly admit to God what God already knew about them. And therefore, they say in verse 33, which is where we're going to focus a lot of our thought further on today, In verse 33 of Nehemiah chapter 9, they said, You have dealt faithfully with us. But they realized in verse 33 that they have, uh, sorry, a little further on there, verse 37, but we have acted wickedly. We have acted wickedly. 
Indeed, as you think about what the Lord has done here in this text, it reminds me of the great song the psalmist wrote when he reflected upon the idea of coming to God, the idea of feeling the weight of unworthiness of what we feel when we approach God. And the psalmist said in 130, Psalm 130, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Let your ears be attentive to my voice. If you, Lord, should mark or keep track of or keep a record of iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And obviously the rhetorical question would be, none of us. But then he continues on. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Last week we noticed that the emphasis in this prayer predominantly is on the humble confession of sin. Indeed, if you ever want to humbled or you want to be humbled or you ever want to know if you have a humble heart, ask the question, am I freely confessing my sins before God, a gracious and forgiving God? So today, we're on the front end of a week of prayer in our church. And again, I want to remind you, as we'll said, and I think Brother Fred said it well, that we're not talking about just a week of prayer and then we're going to forget prayer the rest of the year, but we're trying to call us to a special emphasis of prayer, hopefully to get us into a, a pattern of prayer, a, a sense of vitality in prayer among us that will continue on in the life of our church. And I would suggest that one of the ways as we think of starting off the week is to pump and prime the pump of our prayer life by not waiting for some sort of experience, some sort of emotional uh, reaction, but to do it by reading the testimony of God's people, celebrating the Lord's mercies and celebrating the Lord's grace, found right here in chapter 9 or other places in the Word of God. What I'm calling us to do today is to believe upon Christ, to rely upon His atoning sacrifice that reconciles you to God, brings us to God, presents us to God as those who are fully forgiven and restored, sons of God, daughters of God. And through Christ, those of us who are ruined sinners are welcomed to approach God directly and not in approaching Him with the thought that we're going to receive threats from God or some sort of shaming lecture from God where He wags His finger at us, or worse yet, to come before a God of this greatness and to receive a cold, indifferent shoulder. No, because of the finished work of Christ, believers are warmly received by a God who promises to give them, Hebrews chapter 4, what does he give them? Mercy and grace to help us whenever we find ourselves in need. And so this morning I want to make several observations about not just humble prayer, which was last week's emphasis in this rich passage of Hebrews, I'm sorry, of uh, Nehemiah 9, but also I want us to think now about earnest prayer, prayer that is fully engaged from a heart that is really earnestly and sincerely seeking God. So if you have your Bible open, let's look at verse 32 of Nehemiah 9, page 591 in your pew Bible. I'd like to read those last final verses of this great, great chapter. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does keep covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardships seem insignificant before you. 
which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions with which you have admonished them. But they, in their kingdom, with, their great goodness, with your great goodness, which you did give them, with the broad and rich land which you did set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which you did give to your, our fathers to eat of its fruit and of its bounty, behold, we are slaves on it. And its abundant produce is for the kings, whom you did set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. And so we are in great distress. Now because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing, and on all the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. My first point this morning is to just sort of set before us the thought that earnest prayer thrives as our faith grasps a, an enlarged vision of God in the midst of of our hardships, an enlarged vision of God. I wish I had the time to go through and again this wonderful chapter with you and to slowly and thoroughly examine all of the action words that are listed here describing God's involvement with his people. Not just recently, but they're going back far, far back into many generations, back to Abraham and going down through the centuries of redemptive history. In my Bible, I took the time, and I would encourage you, if you have your electronic Bible and you want to highlight something, or if you want to actually take a pen with a color pen and highlight in your Bible, all of God's gracious dealings with his persistently stubborn children. Think about it. He saw their affliction, verse 9. He saw, he is aware, he is omniscient. He heard their cry for help, verse 9. He is a God, verse 12, who led his people. He guided them. He was with them as they went through all of these pilgrimage. He spoke to them, verse 13, from heaven. Verse 15 and 21, he provided for their daily needs. And, and obviously, miraculously, there is in the wilderness. Verses 20, he said he instructed them by his Spirit. Verse 23, he brought them into the land, he promised them. Verse 27, he raised up deliverers, the book of Judges, who rescued them. And then in verse 30, he admonished them by his prophets again and again and again. Prophet after prophet kept coming on the scene, giving them a word from the Lord. And then verse 30, because they refused to listen to those words, he disciplined his people. How did he do that? Through the invasions of other nations. What a long list. From the beginning of human history up to the present, we could say that God has been and is intimately involved and acquainted with the needs and concerns of his people. 
God has set his love upon his people when he made that covenant there with Abraham. And the list that was shows in this text shows God's love being fleshed out year after year, generation after generation. And I think it's it, hearing that, hearing all those action words, all of the reminders what God has been doing, what God has done again and again and again, these people at this moment in time in history, they don't just know these truths then to be cold, hard facts that they just give assent to in their mind. I believe that they have now, in hearing that again and again, in hearing the Scriptures, they have now appreciating God in a personal and a rather profound way. Look at verse 32, chapter 9. Now, therefore, our God... This is not just the God of Abraham who has done all these things for people years ago that has nothing to do with us. They are now saying... You are our God. We claim you as our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness. You see, their hearts are deeply moved as they review this long list. And I believe they have now regained a new appreciation, a new sense of, of, of admiration for God that perhaps for a while had just they, they didn't really think about God in His wondrous love for his people but now they have a, 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 a new appreciation for God and who he is and what he does for his people and here's my impression as I read through this text again this wonderful prayer I'm convinced that the word of God is God's primary means of enlarging our vision of the greatness of our God in other words you can tell that this prayer is the expression of their renewed faith in God and that their faith in God has been energized. It has been personalized. They say it is our God that we're praying to now. We're turning to Him. And it's the fact that their, 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 their faith in God has been enlarged. It's been expanded now and deepened because they've been reading the Word and pondering again what God has done for His people over and over and over. And thus I would suggest to you that those who are enriched in the Word of God and who have an encounter with the true and living God as He reveals Himself in the Word of God, then prayer at that point does not become a burden. It's not an obligation that we just carry out because it's a sense of duty that I have. You know, I need to do this. It's expectation. Everybody's supposed to be doing this. And so I check it off my list. I don't sense that happening here in this text. I don't sense that happening in the hearts of people whose faith has been set afire and become amazed and, and just filled with wonder at the greatness of God and His love for them. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you that the fruit of faith in God is to seek God in the middle of a problem situation. And that's exactly what they're doing right here. Look at verse 32 of this text. They use the word hardship. They admit, we're in a hard spot. This is a difficult time. Verse 37, we are in great distress. I don't know if you have that marked in your Bible. That's a good place to, to, to underline the emphasis of saying, listen, we're crying out to you. We're in a tough spot here. In your notes, I have listed for you there a very helpful comment and quotation from John Calvin who called prayer 
the chief exercise of faith. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Now, as I've thought about that and thought about the connection between faith and prayer, I've begun to ask myself some questions. I wonder if it could be said that one of the reasons so many of us are reticent to pray is because of our inaccurate and distorted view of God. For example, if we assume that God is indifferent, unreliable, impatient, feeble, unavailable, and disinterested, why in the world would I ever take time to seek him out when I'm in trouble? I wouldn't do it. But if, by faith, we take God at his word, and we have a confident assurance that he is, Hebrews 11:6, he is a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him, our hearts, I would believe, I would imagine, would be much more inclined to turn to him in earnest prayer, rather than trying to what? Go on in life on autopilot, prayerlessly trying to fend for ourselves in our own limited abilities. My prayer, and I've been agonizing in prayer about the need for greater prayer in my own life, in our own church. It's my prayer that God will, by His Word and through His Spirit, He will correct our distorted views that we have of God. I'm asking God to expand the narrow concept that I have oftentimes in my mind about Him, and that I would not have the blinders that, that keep thinking, well, God is only limited to doing this, this, and this. That God would so work in my own heart and our hearts to expand the narrow concept that we have of Him. And therefore, the more convinced we become that our God, as He says in this text, is truly great, is truly sufficient, is truly compassionate toward His people and toward the lost, toward people who are foolish and stubborn and self-focused as his subjects, the more likely we are going to turn to him in our time of need again and again and again. We'll keep on turning to him because we truly believe he is God and a reward of those who diligently seek him. I wonder if in drawing near to God in prayer, you tend to sort of fall into a pattern that would be such that you do so only when you think you have your act together. That is, we think about praying to God only when we think, well, I've, I've been repentant enough, and now I can come to God. Or the only time I should come to prayer, pray before God is when I understand clearly all of the reasons why I recently uh, messed up and why I recently stumbled and why I did what I did last week or last night. Only when I can make sense of it all. But I would hope that that's not how you relate to God, my friends, because then you've lost sight of the gospel. All of us need to feed and nourish our faith on the nutritious, biblical teaching, as you will, if you will, the vitamin-packed, nutritious, biblical teaching about God and His gospel of grace. Because let's be honest, if you are feeling rather lethargic, spiritually speaking, 
if you feel weak, spiritually speaking, if you feel like you have little, little appetite for the things of God and therefore even for prayer, could it be that your soul is malnourished? Could it be that we've been perhaps eating too much spiritual junk food and only having a superficial understanding of God and, and only having a little tiny bite-sized bit of God on some contemporary Christian music on the radio and that's all we ever hear about God? And we rather rarely ever open our scriptures long enough to begin to sort of ponder and meditate and have our eyes brought to the, the a fresh sense of greatness of our God. I wonder for many of us if prayer doesn't seem like drudgery. And I think for some of us it probably is. That we need to feast our souls upon the unmerited generosity of God in the gospel. These are all expressions of people who are admitting they're messed up. And they continue to mess up. And they've seen a long history of people who have messed up in their lives. And yet their hope and their confidence is in God, the God who forgives, the God who has compassion, the God who is so patient and who redeems his people. I would encourage you to feed upon the gospel and then come to God in your mess. Come to God in your weakness. Come to God in your inadequacy. Come to God in your double-mindedness. Come to God in your fears, in your struggles. Struggle with anger. Struggle with anxiety. Struggle with sexual lust. Struggle with compulsive behaviors. Don't avoid God. Come to God with those. Because that is the promise of the gospel, isn't it? He receives sinners. In the gospel, we are given eyes of faith to see God as He really is. We see Him as the saving, rescuing Redeemer who is gracious and kind and good and powerful and holy and forgiving and all-wise and sovereign and ready to hear us when we call. Not because we are better than the next person, but because of Jesus. That's why. I wonder if some of you, in the thought of spending a week that has a special emphasis of prayer in your life, you think of that future and you say, well, I'm very much aware of this pattern in my life right now, and I see it very clearly. I just fall to temptation. I'm falling in moral failure. I'm falling in different areas of my life, and I'm just... I'm so discouraged. May I encourage you again, pick up your notes there in your bulletin. Look at this quote I've included in your bulletin, which really blessed my soul and my heart this week as I think about this. One commentator wrote, Jay Motyer, God can change and transform the most impossible situations. Do you believe that? Is faith circulating in your veins? <laughs> of your heart God can change and transform the most impossible situations God delights in taking weak and vulnerable people and providing them with all the necessary resources for living God can take unlikely people like you and me and make them into strong effective instruments of his sovereign purposes isn't that what these people were saying in their prayer at the end Aren't they celebrating the fact that look at what God has done with these kinds of failing people? And so here's my encouragement for us. If we see faith being expressed in prayer, prayer is the expression of our faith, 
then may I encourage you, pray with your Bible open. Use the Scriptures as your springboard to God so that you remember who your eyes are on. The eyes of your heart are on Christ. Christ your Lord, who gave Himself for you to rescue you. And I would hope that your earnest prayer would thrive as faith then grabs hold of an enlarged vision of God in the midst of whatever hardship you are facing, personally and we as a church. There's much more I could say about that, but I want to also move to our second point here. Uh, this has again been such a strong point reinforced in my own soul, in my own life as I've thought about it. Second point here, earnest prayer unites the people of God in deeper gospel fellowship with God and each other. So we see in this text here that prayer is something that is learned, yes. It is very simple on some levels. It's just talking to God. can't be real complicated in that sense. But it's something that is learned to be praying on the same wavelength of where God is and what he's concerned about. And so in Luke 11, Jesus' disciples did say to him, they see him praying and praying and praying. And so they said, well, you know, Lord, teach us to pray. And so our Lord certainly did that. And we must admit that prayer in solitary prayer, alone time prayer, prayer that we offer ourselves to God, certainly is essential. It is appropriate for every believer. But I would also suggest to you that out of this text, and as I've thought about it, meditated on it, that the prayer also is to be shared with our brothers and sisters together. It's not one or the other, but it's both and. We pray as a family. And that's what Nehemiah 9 clearly is conveying here in such wonderful ways. If you look at it, verse 32. Our God. Did you notice the pronoun? Our God. Verse 33. We have acted wickedly. Verse 32. Also hardship that has come upon us. Or even verse 37. We are in great distress. Sort of an echo, wouldn't you say, of Jesus' model prayer for his disciples as he sort of gives them a model of the kind of, of uh, subject matter and the kind of approaches to take in prayer. It's not the prayer that Jesus himself would say that he would offer necessarily to God because he's confessing his own sin. But notice what he says, as we know the uh, prayer in Matthew 6. He says, our Father who is in heaven. He says, give us this day our daily bread, right? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a sense of corporate or shared sense of need among the people of God that leads us to cry out to God together. Not just alone, but together. Christians are a community of redeemed, broken people who are in desperate need of the gospel, who are in desperate need of daily grace, who are in desperate need of God's ongoing mercies. And as I think about my own life and my own Christian walk, I've had the privilege of praying with countless other believers. I mean, I look back then and I realize that, that is an amazing part of my life, is that I've had the privilege of praying with so many different brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes it's one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes it's in small groups, sometimes it's in larger group settings. 
And as I think about that and reflected on that, there have been some days when I've had those opportunities to pray in that context, and I've had to admit my heart was cold, spiritually speaking. I've been, the thought of praying by myself was something that I easily may have limited on that particular day. But as I've spent time with these people, other believers in prayer, I have found that my time in praying with them has deepened my appreciation for the Lord as I've heard them and the expression of their faith in offering their words of, of reflection on the glory and wonders of God and hear their hearts open to God. I have realized that my sense of appreciation with God has then become heightened. It has helped me realize, oh yes, that's right, God, you are that way. And I appreciate the fact this brother, this sister has reminded me of that. And it also draws me closer toward them as I realize what a, what a like precious faith this person shares. Listen to them crying out their heart to God. It's amazing what a dynamic that is to pray with other people. Sometimes I don't think we appreciate it enough. Some of you know the challenges of building a campfire. You, you learn that as a kid, usually, at least in, our, in my experience. With our boys, we go we go on vacation. I think they would burn everything that, could, that wasn't nailed down in a campfire. We had it several times. We had a campfire available to us. But building a campfire, as you know, takes a little bit of placement of the pieces of wood you're going to try to burn in order to get a decent flame out of it, which again creates coals. And you find that that dynamic of the coals and then adding another piece on it tends to sustain that fire. But if you take those pieces of wood and you remove them from each other and separate them, after a while you find those pieces of wood, once they're spread out, they tend to die down rather quickly. They're not, they're not flaming like they once were when they're all brought together. And I would suggest to you that as I hear other people expressing their faith to God, in their own earnest, sincere prayer. Not put on prayers, not people trying to sound spiritual. I'm talking about talk, talking to God out of a heart that truly does believe it. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Believe He exists. As I hear their faith expressed in prayer, the coals of my own cold heart sometimes become stirred up. And I find myself brought to flames again, saying, Lord Jesus, I do appreciate you even more so than I was previously praying with the other brother or sister in christ it deepens and strengthens also our cords and fellowship together i won't take the time to make you look it up but again i would encourage you to look at some time in the future second corinthians chapter one paul talks about a time in his life where he thought he was going to die now, I, don't, I don't know of a time like that in my life i can't really point to a time i know i had a kidney stone i thought i was in tremendous pain but i didn't think i was going to die but Paul said, we almost got the point of death. And in reflecting on that time in which he was really at a low, low, low point, it brought him back to realize how much he appreciated afresh and anew the prayers of his brothers and sisters in his church in Corinth. Listen to what he says. This is sort of a modern version, New Living Version, New Living Translation. I thank you, I think, sorry, I think you ought to know, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and completely overwhelmed. And we thought we would never live through it. You see, we thought he was going to die. In fact, we expected to die. 
But as a result, we learn not to rely on ourselves, but on God who can raise the dead. He will rescue us from mortal danger because you are helping by praying for us. As a result, many people will give thanks to God because so many people's prayers for our safety have been answered. Do you see how he is just finding that to be such a great encouragement to his heart and realizing that's going to affect other people as this prayer dynamic between other believers is such a blessing. Now I brought a little illustration. I don't know how well this is going to illustrate it. I'm going to try my best. But I brought with me this morning some washers, metal washers. Everybody know what a washer is? It's like a little round piece of metal that's flat, has a hole in it. Usually you put a bolt in there. And there are all different kinds of sizes here. I have the ones that are quite wide. I have ones that are very small. I have ones that are thicker than other ones, all different sizes. And if I take them, you'll notice that there's no sense of attraction. They don't really grip each other much. And so if I were to sort of toss them on this table here, they're all over the place. But I have a magnet. And if I just take this magnet and just go back and forth around this table here, can you hear that? Can you see that? It is amazing now how tightly drawn together all those washers that really didn't have a very strong uh, connection with each other, how they're all stuck very tightly here. If I try to remove them, you really have to pull hard. And they're overlying each other. They're very close together. It's amazing what happens when they're drawn together toward a center with magnet, a magnetic pull. And I'm wondering if mutual prayer, doesn't it sort of act like a magnet that draws us in all of our differences among ourselves? We have lots of things that make us different. We're certainly not all the same. It draws us closer as we're drawn closer to God through Jesus Christ. I wonder if you can really say, you know what it means to have fellowship with God in prayer. That is, you actually are getting to know God in prayer. And beyond that, I wonder how many of us can say we know what it is to have fellowship with other Christians in prayer. This is very practical. I tell all my couples that I do premarital counseling now, I remind them, it is so urgent for you to weave into your marital fabric of your lives together you share together the element of prayer regular, consistent prayer with each other and for each other. And the reason I'm emphasizing that more and more as I think about it is because you cannot regularly pray for somebody, i.e. your spouse, and remain embittered and angry and resentful against that person. Because either your prayers will become mockery and hypocritical and worthless because you really are not celebrating how God has forgiven you, or your prayers have become, you're just not going to pray. You're not going to really live out the gospel with that person. And so praying is the, is the privilege of seeing fellow believers as a means of grace, drawing us, what, toward the blessings and the benefits of the gospel. That we all come to God through Christ, who has saved us as sinners who are in need of saving and rescuing. And so the same is true for all of us that we find tremendous benefit from praying with other Christians and joining with them in pointing us and reminding us of the benefits of the gospel. One of 
one of the other will occur in our lives. Either prayer will cease in our lives, or you're going to find prayer to melt away any kind of resentment and issues between you and other Christians. They will eventually, as you persevere in prayer together, God will see you through those difficult things. I think as a church, that's a powerful principle. Our bonds can become weak, yes. They can be torn apart if our hearts are not knit together through the gospel fruit of ongoing mutual prayer. And you say, well, where's the biblical evidence of this? Where's the big emphasis of this on Scripture? Where, where do we find this to be something that's an ideal we should be striving toward? Well, let me just remind you, Acts 2.42. Our brother Fred reminded us of this early this morning in our first hour. The Holy Spirit comes, the church is birthed, and the first evidences of the Spirit of God working among His people in the early gathering of the believers there is this. A description of them is Acts 2.42. The early believers were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to what? And to prayer. It doesn't just say they had a one-week emphasis of prayer and every so often they would gather together and they would pray. No, it says they continually devoted themselves to prayer. Again, I say my longing is not to just see extra times of prayer once a year as if that's going to be our solve-all in our church. But I'm praying that God's going to stir us up and that in an emphasis of prayer, He's going to increase our love for Him out of the faith that now is beginning to build because of the time we're spending in the Word and have a deeper love for Him, a deeper love for each other and for ongoing prayer partnerships, ongoing times of gathered praying together among the believers of God in our growth groups and prayer fellowships that we find that our fellowship with each other grows and thrives when we're praying. Now where do we go with this? Real quickly. As you move through the week, we've given you a prayer guide. It's a practical suggestion, giving you some suggestions of things you can incorporate and focus your prayer around that particular day. You don't have to follow it, but at least follow something. It's designed to remind you, oh yeah, this is the day that we're supposed to, to emphasize the need to, to seek God in prayer, in prayer. There are verses that are suggested for your reading, again, to prime the pump of faith. And so here's the plan. First of all, set reminders for yourself. I used to use post-it notes. Now I'm trying to use my smartphone to remind me about everything. But post-it notes work better for me because I see them everywhere I go. I can put a post-it note right in front of whatever I'm looking at. I don't always see it on my phone. But do reminders. Pray, pray, pray. Don't forget to pray, pray, pray. Make it something you can't just put on the back burner. It's something that's right in front of you. Leave your little guide out. Leave it out. Make some kind of visual reminder to pray, pray, pray. Leave some verse out of Hebrews 11.6. Then read the Word. Reflect on that Scripture and reflect on the Gospel once again. Reflect on the God of the Gospel so that your heart becomes, again, enamored with God and impressed with Him. And then refresh your soul with the greatness of God. Find it to be a time of delight. Find the sweetness of the Gospel and savor that for a while in His presence. And then redeem the time. Seize the moment you have. Get up earlier Stop doing things that take your time away from it. Make it a focus of your life. And may I urge you, make Wednesday night one of the highlights of your week. Come here and have food. 
and fellowship in prayer and feed your soul. Let's pray. Our Father, only you can stir up in your people faith. Only you can give the gift of faith to those who do not know you. And so we pray, Father, would you by your Holy Spirit do your mighty work. Lord, help us to, by faith, seek you earnestly, humbly, sincerely. May this be the passion of our hearts, Lord. We pray that even now as we come to your table, and where we're reminded and where we proclaim again the wonderful gospel truths of what we've received in Christ. Lord, may it be a time in which we enjoy sweet fellowship with you and with each other as we ponder again with a sense of fresh appreciation what a compassionate, great, forgiving, and gracious God and full of mercy that you are. Toward that end, we pray that we might truly glorify you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.